She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. John Green, John Green, John Green every season till he comes on. John Green ever came on here. Molly, I just wouldn't be able to talk. I would just be like. I would rather take a red hot poker to the vagina. Pain demands to be felt. Okay, science question. Is it like a puberty thing? That's going to be on the next shirt. You know what? Fuck you. Yeah. Sorry we made you cry. We are a hot mess this episode, man. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Hi, Hi friends. Friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're rocking the same shirt today. It was a gift. It was a from gift. From our friend. From our friend who is joining us today, our friend, Nurse Katie. Woo-woo! Um, so, Nurse Katie sent us these for Galentine's Day. We, we yeah. revealed, We revealed the socks that I sent you guys a few weeks ago that said, fuck off on the bottom, which was, you That's know, true. classic. Speaking of gifts, socks, I got my Christmas present from Amy and Jenna finally. Bookie sucks. <laughs> oh, those are adorable. I joined the uh, Sock of the Month Club that um, nice. uh, the Project for Awesome, um, uh-huh. which is appropriate. By the brothers. Since we're, since we're talking about John Green today, uh, that's appropriate. So I joined the Sock of the Month Club, and so I get socks every month, and they're pretty fucking cool. So, they're socky socks? They're socky socks. Um, I'm, I'm wasted tired today. Um, well, let's dive into it then. I'm wasted tired. I I was camping this weekend, mm-hmm. and um, I don't I I don't do the outdoors. Somehow I'm in no, charge of. Somehow I'm in charge of a Cub Scout pack, and like, why? Because you don't say no. <laughs> That's it's how we true. got here too. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, do I I do have boundaries when I need to have them. But like I mean, when it comes I don't to my either. kids, I, I, I don't send no a lot to my kids. I don't either. I ended up picking up a saddle this week for a friend. What ended a, up being a saddle. Like a, a saddle? Like saddle. A, a, what, yep. what the fuck did you pick up a saddle? <laughs> because she's, it lives in San Antonio and she asked you to pick it up for no. Because <laughs> I can't say no. Wait. And when I got there to pick up the saddle, it wasn't just a saddle. It was the saddle in the wood stand that goes on the saddle. And I drive a Jetta wagon. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The saddle <laughs> lives in San Diego or your friend lives in San Diego? No, no, no. My friend lives in San Diego. Not San Diego. San Antonio. I can't fucking talk today. Awesome. This is going to be a great episode, gang. So my friend lives in San Antonio and she saw that it was for sale here locally. Uh-huh. She's like, hey. And I was like, what up? And I said, she asked me and I said, sure. And I make it out there and it's the saddle and the stand. My car, what but, I had, the car But San Antonio isn't that far away. Why didn't she just come get it herself? Because she, cause she has kids in school and she couldn't come down that exact so day. So how are you getting this big ass saddle and wood piece to San Antonio? Oh, she's coming to get it. My I'm, hell was I'm getting sorry. it from Santa Fe to, from, to League City in my Jetta, which I did. Uh, that makes my with, eye twitch, Molly. <laughs> with uh, with a car seat and two booster seats in there, it was right. really cramped. Okay, well that sounds terrible. So it was terrible, but I did it because I'm a good it. egg. You know, we we mentioned our shirts, but we didn't actually say what they said. And again, we're a podcast, so people probably. <laughs> 
unless you watch us on YouTube. You have no idea what our shirts say. So they sh- I should tell you, they say hashtag not oh, sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Because we are not fucking sponsored. We are not not sponsored yet. You're not Molly. Hashtag not sponsored. Right. Yet. Currently. Currently. Yet. As of 327-2022. Two. The power of yet. All right. Fuck it. Can we just talk about this book? Because Katie's here. And, um, I'm She has I'm, all the feelings after reading this book, I'm sure. And, and last not all week, positive ones. <laughs> and last, the book we're talking about is, of course, The Fault in Our Stars, by John, in our Green. stars by John Green. So last week, guys, we're sorry that our episode didn't come together. We had a recording issue, and we're sorry about that. We hope you enjoyed uh, the revisit of Twilight and Vampire and Sperm. Vampire Sperm. And, yeah. Um, but this week we are talking about The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Um, John Green is my favorite author. This is the second book we're covering by him on the pod. This was actually the first book of his that I read um, mm-hmm. and then was like, okay, I love the way this guy writes. And so I just read everything by him. And now I'm kind of obsessed with him and um, all things Vlog Brothers and Project for Awesome. And don't forget to be awesome. So... Like literally they have a charity that's called uh that is called the fight to end world suck. Like it's just fucking awesome. Okay. Anyway. Can I, I know the hates to your John? Yeah, that would that feels that feels fucking accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Can I read the synopsis that I wrote? Love it. Listen, Please. why the fuck do I always write such lengthy synopsis? Synopses? Because Synopsis. you're a detail-oriented librarian whose job is to make sure people mm. understand what they're reading before they read it. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. That checks out. All right. John Green's <laughs> The Fault in Our Stars follows Hazel Grace Lancaster, a 16-year-old girl with terminal cancer, as she falls in love for the first time with Augustus Gus Waters. Hazel and Augustus meet a support group for kids with cancer. Hazel was diagnosed with terminal thyroid cancer when she was 13. The cancer is spread to her lungs by the time we meet her in in this book. She is obsessed with the book, An Imperial Affliction by Peter Van Houten, because it's the only book she has ever read written by someone who understands dying that hasn't actually died. Hazel is attending support group because her mom and doctors believe she is depressed and will help. it will help her. Augustus is a cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. Did I say that right? Osteosarcoma? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, but after a partial leg amputation and chemo, he was labeled cancer-free. He is attending support group to support his friend Isaac, who has a rare eye cancer that has progressed to the point of him needing to have his only remaining eye removed. All of that is to set up this, uh, to a story that is the most tragic love story I've ever read. The facts. Har- I'm, I'm going to say it wrong. Harmatia. I looked up how to say that word 25 times and then forgot how to say it. The Harmatia of Hazel and Gustus is that they are both destined for oblivion in a world where terminal cancer makes you a grenade to those around you. So in the movie, they say Hamarshia, Hamarsha, but everywhere Hamarshia. else, Hamarsha? But, but everywhere else I looked it up, how to spell it or how to say it, it was Hamatia. Ham, yeah. Ham- the way Arthia. I heard it on the movie was Hamarsha. Yeah. That was my interpretation of it. So I don't know. It means a fault in your stars. So there you go. That's what it means. <laughs> Um, Translation. Boom. Um, 
In other words, like they're star-crossed lovers, like Romeo and Juliet, but like, of course, which this is-, is not accurate because nobody's trying to stop them from being together. Well, Romeo and Juliet, in my opinion, is one of the worst love stories there is. Like everyone talks oh, about, I, hate it. I want a romance like Romeo and Juliet. No, you don't. No, Nobody's you absolutely they, fucking don't. They kill because themselves everybody dies again. at the end. Mm-hmm. It's a Shakespearean tragedy. That is literally the definition of it. Everybody dies. Shakespearean right. comedy. The definition is everybody gets married. That's how they define them, by the way. Because so <laughs> marriage is a joke. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it means because it's happy ending. Whatever. But yes. All right. So no, marriage is a joke. <laughs> I'm 15 years deep. <laughs> All right. Well, I my husband's the editor of our podcast. So I'm just going to leave um, so she we loves brought, you, Tom. <laughs> I, I do. I really do. Um, we brought on Nurse Katie again because this is another book about kids with cancer, and we have promised her that she can, in the future, pick a book for us to do that doesn't have to be. Yes, about cancer. please pick a picture. A yes. non-cancer book, Katie. Yeah, you're and, welcome. And, and we'll, we'll do that in season three, Katie. We'll have you come on with your favorite book, and we'll read it and talk. How about, about it. how about the notebook? That's not about cancer. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would Someone's rather dying. take a red hot poker to the vagina than uh, <laughs> drop a notebook. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard no me. for this gal. For the love uh-uh. of God, Tom, please clip that and put that in our reel. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was amazing. No for me. Yeah, it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> All right, so we've got Nurse Katie again, questions. and and I've got questions for her about nursey type thing that's a that's a dumb way of saying that i have medical questions for katie (laughs) who is a nurse practitioner if you're new to our pod katie is a nurse practitioner with what is the what do you work katie so i work at a place called the zangmeister cancer center it's a um community oncology practice outside of columbus ohio so i work with adult cancer patients every day Mm -hmm. so i don't treat pediatrics though so and we keep running around for depressing. pediatric type things, so you know. Yeah, no, nope. it's depressing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's but depressing. You've been doing, uh, you've been working with cancer patients for quite a while, right? This isn't your first um, clinic. Yeah, with so um, I worked at I worked at the Zangmeister for three years, and then um, prior to that, I worked at the James Cancer Center, which is with Ohio State University. So uh, when they talk about um, the hospital that Gus goes to, that's a lot of like what I worked with um, those types of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, been a nurse practitioner since 2014, an ICU nurse before that. But um, actually the reason I work in cancer is because one of my dearest friends has the same type of cancer that Gus has. Um, she, Stephanie was diagnosed with osteosarcoma about 10 years ago. Um, and she's pretty sick um, on about her fifth or sixth line of therapy at this point and just kind of maintaining right now. So, yeah. The book kind of gives the impression that osteosarcoma is very curable, that if you, like, I think she says that you lose a limb in the process, but that's usually. Um, in pediatrics, she's... it is. In adults, in it's pediatrics. a game changer. So, is it more aggressive in adults? Yes, exponentially more. So, is it uh, because of like okay science question is it like a puberty thing is it like when the hormones change and you go from you know no. adolescence to adulthood 
or is it just I honestly the way the don't know why it's more i think it's probably just based on a mets thing but a lot of the times too there's a delay in diagnosis because adults are busy and they don't want to admit that they don't feel good or things like that or there's a million other yeah. things that they're worked up yeah. before of where um actually april Somebody that we went to high school with, her son was treated for a precursor to osteosarcoma and uh-huh. he had, I think uh-huh. he had a little bit of surgery and he's fine. I think he's playing basketball again and, wow. and everything. So it's, you know, it's a very different from pediatrics to adults. So, well, I think, I mean, when my kids complain about an ache or pain, I'm immediately taking them to the doctor. It's like, okay, we're going to go find out right. what's wrong. When I complain about an ache or pain, it could be months before I'm like, Okay, I probably should see a doctor at this point. Um, oh, hundred percent. I mean, that could be why it's diagnosed quicker with kids. Well, yeah. well, from my perspective, as the broken person of the group, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I live in constant pain. So, mm-hmm. what would be, you know, for yeah. people like myself, yep. what would be the difference from a new random pain to the pain I'm already in? And right. It, it, yep. It's just I overlook it sometimes, and right. probably shouldn't. Right. Yeah. And cancer so. symptoms can be so vague sometimes. Right. Just right. And <laughs> and I want it clear so people aren't coming at me in the comments. I am not comparing rheumatoid arthritis to cancer. Absolutely <laughs> fucking not. It is completely yeah. different. I'm just saying I am sick in a different way. Right. <laughs> well, I guess uh, if it's okay with someone. you guys, there's always someone. I guess What's it's that? okay with you guys. I'm going to jump into the questions. Is that okay? Yes. Oh, is that what we're doing yeah. today? Questions? <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. Um. <laughs> That's going to be listen. on the next shirt. You know what? Fuck you. Yeah. You know what? Fuck you. Listen. I mean, I've you, said it to her too, so. <laughs> I, I want to apologize in advance for the people who are listening because you know Katie and you're like, who are these girls? But this is how Molly and I talk to each other. So we love love each other. Everybody who knows me knows the mouth of this too. Okay. Everybody (laughs) like a sailor. April and I have been friends for 10 plus years. We're practically sisters at this point. So we talk to each other the way we would talk to our siblings because we love each other that fucking much. (laughs) Now get on to the fucking questions already. Okay. (laughs) All right. This is not the first John Green book we have covered on the pod. Katie, have you read any of his books before? I read Turtles. Um, Turtle oh, All the Way Down was the I only other one book. I had read by him. I did. That, yeah, I really that is that actually my favorite book by him because I have an anxiety disorder and that one's about OCD, mm-hmm. which is a type of anxiety. And yeah. so, you know, anyway. Um, so one of the complaints that Molly and I had in, in Looking for Alaska when we read that was that um, Alaska was more of like a caricature of a woman as opposed, like she was what a man's ideal woman was right. as, as a teenager, as opposed to like actually being a woman. Um, do you feel like he did a better job writing Hazel? Um, I guess this is more a Molly question because Katie hasn't read this, but how do you feel he did with Kate Hazel? Do you feel like she's more like a, a real person or she's I, still that ideal? I feel like John Green wrote Hazel as a child and Alaska as a woman. And they, he created mm. them as two different people. And mm. that's why he didn't, and he didn't sexualize her the way he did Alaska because mm-hmm. one, she was a child and two, she was sick. Mm-hmm. If she was a healthy kid and this was about a healthy kid falling in love with a sick boy, I think we would see more sexualization of Hazel Grace. Um, that's a good point. I think also because looking for Alaska, that book is like deeply bi- 
autobiographical for him. Right. It's based right. on the school where he went. It's based on a lot of his friend group. Um, I think that he was writing as if he were Miles and um, Alaska right. was the was ideal himself. woman for him. Yeah. Whereas I think with Hazel, um, I don't know if, do either of you have a chance to look at some of the videos that I posted in our... I forgot. Okay, well, that's okay. I didn't, but um, it, it brings up a question, like, has he ever said, is Hazel Grace based on somebody he knows, or, like... Yes. And that's... Well, wasn't she, so there was it, an inspiration, right? Yes. Uh, her name is... Um, okay, I put in our notes, and now I need to find it, because I forgot. It's the cover of the book. Is It's in the... Um, it's based on... Oh, my gosh. Esther. Esther Earl. It's... Yes, that's it. Because she's um, the, it says in the very beginning, Esther Earl. Esther Earl. Yes. So Esther Earl, um, and there, I think I, one of the links I put was a, a video of hers. So she was vlogging about her cancer journey. She had thyroid cancer with Mets mm-hmm. in her lungs, just like Hazel. And um, he met her through um, a con for dftb don't forget to be awesome she's a fan um and they became friends and um she did die um and each year uh the vlog brothers still celebrate esther earl day day she had a day that she took over their platform and raised a whole bunch of money for her foundation um and her parents have written a book called uh this star won't go out because i guess esther means star mm-hmm. and so i didn't know that um That's yes awesome. So uh, I think that probably that's some of the, you know, the fault in our stars that came from that as well. I do know, besides her being the inspiration, and one of the things he says in the author's note is that he wants the drug that is in the book that helps Hazel. He wants that to be real because he didn't want his friend to die. Um, But another part of this book takes place, half of this book takes place in Amsterdam. And that had to do with the fact that he actually uh, received an author fellow author and residence fellowship. So he and his family moved to Amsterdam for a year um, and he wrote the fault in our stars while he was there. And the book had to take place um, there as part of the author author residence. If they're still handing those out, I'd be interested. Just saying. <laughs> I don't know that they like, hand them out, Molly. It's like an application process. Application but. process. Oh, I know. There's there's all kinds of, of those author retreats that are, you know, mm-hmm. fancy authors support. And I've already yeah. applied. Oh, Katie, you froze. Are you still there, love? Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, but to answer your really question. interesting, though, that they yeah. said that. Because I was like, why Amsterdam? Like, I yeah. felt like it was because... Because they don't go to the red light district. It felt super random. So, like, knowing that, you're like, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. Because I was like, that's odd. It's an odd place to go for a couple of days. I thought it was weird, too. And I I went down the rabbit hole to do the research on, like, when I first read it the first time. Because I was like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why Amsterdam? Why are they making out in the Anne Frank house? Like, that just feels wildly inappropriate to me. Like, it, uh, what, I don't know. what really got under my skin, and you know, I meant to actually like this is a for me. Um, you shut your bell. Up. The- you are not allowed to ring a bell this episode. This is John. <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> Anne Frank House is not handicap accessible. It isn't. It legit isn't. That's got to break laws. It has first, to. First of all, it's a it's historic historical. site, so they don't have right. to be, follow the same laws. Well, that's stupid. So you can unring that bell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still think 
We should be accessible. If it is that it is a staple in history, it's important in history. We should make it handicap accessible then. Yeah, but then Just they would literally, Molly. They would literally have be to destroy. I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay. I'm just circling saying I don't back, like it. Circling back to I'm Katie's to original. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> circling back to Katie's original question, which is, was this based on a real person? I honestly think that this is why he took more care with Hazel yeah. than he did with Alaska, yeah. because this person is someone that he loved. You know, this right. was a friend. This was someone he loved. This wasn't um, a character felt, out of thin air. Right. I felt like That's what this I think it was. book had more... Um, mm, tenderness towards its mm-hmm. characters than um turtles like i like turtles but i, I this one like more care is exactly this, right. is characters. this is third book no um let's see looking for alaska um an abundance of Catherines, paper towns uh, paper towns and then they go in that one. order i can't I remember so. if paper towns or abundance of Catherines, which one was second I want to say, like, I don't know. I, I Paper Towns is the only book by him that I don't love, honestly. Okay, so Looking for Alaska was 05, mm-hmm. and Abundance was in 06. That book is brilliant. We should definitely do that on the pod, too. Um, Let It Snow was 08. Paper so Towns Let it, was 08. Let It Snow is a collection of short stories that several authors wrote. So he just has one story in there. Um, uh, and then Paper I forgot Town. about Will Grayson, Will Grayson. Will Grayson, Will Grayson was 2010. And he, and then that, he co-authored 20- that. Okay, I, I have a theory then. This was 2012. He mm-hmm. was six years deep into writing. Well, he is learning his voice by then. I'm going to link this this uh, below. And uh, it's one of the videos I put in our notes. He talks uh-huh. about how his first three books have one theme. And his last three books have another theme. And this mm-hmm. is the first of those three of the late okay. of the others, the later of the three. others. So the, yeah. the first three are more like growing up and um, being well, a part, and- finding your place in society. And the last three are more uh, like they're more grown up. They're dealing with right. more world issues than just like, hey, let's go find the smoking hole. Like it's more world. Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, it, it, your writing changes and matures as, it, as you go. I also want to say he was, I think he was either just shy of 40 or 40 when he published The Fault in Our Stars. So he was also more mature, right? I mean, he wrote Looking for Alaska, like right out of college. He wrote it about high school. I I love that book, but it it reads like a young man wrote it. Whereas The Fault in Our Stars, I don't, I don't put a gender to the author of this. Like I know it was John Green, so it was a man. He's definitely grown. You can see the growth from Alaska to this. You need to read... Paper Towns is not my favorite. Like, I feel like he threw away the ending of that one. But you need to read um, An Abundance of Catherines because the difference between Looking for Alaska and that one is astronomical just in those two books. Really, really, really mm. different. Add it to season three. <laughs> well, maybe. Are we going to do a John Green every season? I would be fine with that. Look, I just, I wanted Chessie to tell John us. Green, John Green, John Green every season till he comes on. I wanted Chesie to tell us. I wanted Chesie to tell us that she knew him and like we could get him on the pod because I, I swear, Chesie like, was oh, a John, I will guest. totally text him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean we gotta be six degrees separated. Shouldn't we are? She's been in a room with him. She has been in a room with him, so we are there. Um, like I, I love her. She was such a great guest. She is still 
I mean, she's still amazing. Like, we're still in communication with her. I can't wait to have her on in season three. But I just really, like, I can't wait to see what book she picks. Like, I fangirled over her, but if John Green ever came on here, Molly, I just wouldn't be able to talk. I would just be like, I got you. I got you, I got you. I got you. I got you. All right. All right. Let's go to the next question. We should go back to questions. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. This is. Sorry, sorry. Fun! <laughs> We're not, I'm not doing my best today. Um, all right. Augustus <laughs> believes in metaphors. Is his metaphor for putting the killing thing between your teeth, but does, but don't give it the power to do the killing a good metaphor? It's a waste of money. It, I actually thought <laughs> that too. I was stupid. like, cigarettes are expensive. Cigarettes are stupid expensive. Like, why are we wasting our money on this? Yeah. Go buy one of those full ones that the you can buy at a head shop, man. Like, Yeah, but those are like, the e-cigarettes will destroy your lungs just as well. I mean, Katie, can you chime no, no, into no, no, that? No, yeah. Like, they're snuffers that you put, like, the weed in that looks like a cigarette. Just get yeah. the fake one without just actually lighting it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, don't waste understand. your money, man. I didn't think it was, in my opinion, that's not a good metaphor. Like, I, I just don't like the idea of teenagers in general smoking. And, like, it just grosses me. Smoking grosses me out. Like, it just grosses me out. And I hate smoking. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a stretch. I mean, like, how there. many people are killed in car accidents, too. Like, you're not going to not drive just because, right. like, a car accident can kill you, too. But you don't. Yeah. He doesn't make. I, I didn't think that was the strongest metaphor, either. Like, I get no. it. But I was like, nah. Yeah, I mean, so. it's clever and it's smart when you read it, but the more you think on it and sit on it, you're like, huh. But I feel like that Ick. metaphor was specifically <laughs> to- chosen for two we- reasons. Number one, John Green used to smoke and he doesn't anymore. But right. and and he did talk a lot about smoking and looking for Alaska. And then and now he, do- he now he encourages teenagers not to smoke. But the second reason, I think, is because. The problem with Hazel is her lungs, right? And yeah. right, like yeah. so. Obviously, she's going to be more sensitive well, to that. And he also mm. needed something to make it scruffy for them, right? When they fir- their first introduction, mm-hmm. she, it can't be a perfect slide. Oh, Hazel meets August, and got her and Gus just kick off, you know, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Him putting the cigarette in the mouth actually mm-hmm. made her pause for a second. And I really he needed that tension. I really like how Shailene Woodley plays it in the movie, where she's like, "You just ruined the whole thing," and he's like, "The whole thing," and she's like, "The yes. whole thing." <laughs> you the ruined whole thing. the whole thing. Um, you did. Okay, uh, next question. Um, I just have a, a side note in here. Is there anything hotter than a guy sharing books with you? There isn't. You don't have to comment. There just isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rhetorical question. Got it. Uh, we just get a few this glimpses. <laughs> this is just a fact. Um, we yep. get a few glimpses of the book in Imperial Affliction. Is this a book you would want to read? Yes, but I also think I'd be extremely pissed off. Well, we know how it is, so. It's in poetry form, right? Verse form? No, it isn't. No. Oh. What was that? It's just that's how he writes. Yeah, that, it's a no for me, though. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I feel like the only way I would read it is probably because John Green would be the one to write it, like, because he wrote. I highly doubt he will, though. He won't. He won't. He's explicitly said on several occasions that he doesn't write sequels to books, just like Van Houten, because when the book is finished, he gives it to his readers. And it's for them. He recently had a TikTok about that. I think I saved it. I think he had a TikTok about that. If If I can find it, I'll put it in the story. If Molly saved it, we'll share it. (laughs) 
If she didn't save it, I can't help you guys. (laughs) I'm not on TikTok, so I can't really fault you either way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I get enough of Imperial Affliction to know the premise of it, but um, I don't know if I really want to read another book. It's foreshadowing for the book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really want to read another book where kids die of cancer. I'm not saying that kids no. don't die of cancer. Obviously that happens. It's very tragic. But uh, you're enough. You're tired of your heart getting broken. Yeah. I, when I was reading this book, um, I don't want to give away the ending yet, but we will because fans of this podcast, Stop. spoilers, <laughs> we spoil everything. Um, but I was laying in bed next to Tom and I was reading and I was literally sobbing. He woke up and was like, are you okay? And I was like, I am not okay. Absolutely fucking not. I was like gasping. I was sobbing hard. And guys, this is like the third time I've read this book. Maybe even the fourth. This is not I new for every me. Time I read it. This is not new for me. It just is, it gets me. All right. So let's talk about Did it break your heart, Katie? No. <laughs> I might be soulless because of that. Like no. I was waiting for that point too. Like I knew it was coming. Like I could tell like through the, the stuff that he was saying. So I was like waiting for it. And then I was like, Oh, and then I was like, okay, maybe I don't have a soul or maybe I'm just so jaded anymore. And then I was like, so I flipped back a couple pages and I reread it and I thought, yeah, no, still. The only scene I really struggled with and I was crying at was when he insisted on them reading their eulogies. Yeah, that's that's the part scene got to me. that got me. Yeah. That's yeah, the scene that, that part got, got me. me. I knew Gus was going to mm-hmm. die, but yeah. him going, okay, hey, Molly, just you're going to read your eulogy to me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. It's okay. My bad. Katie, do you feel like do you feel like because of your job that you have to distance yourself from that kind of yeah. storyline? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um I learned many years ago being in the IC that you have to put up the wall. Um it's both a blessing and a curse. Um when you're in the ICU you have to do a lot of unpleasant things to people. Um to save their lives, you you have to do painful procedures. You have mm-hmm. to administer medications that aren't that don't make people feel good. The same goes for oncology. So mm-hmm. you do have to put that wall up mm-hmm. to a point. Um, but there are times where people will break your walls. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the um, <laughs> you okay? <laughs> uh, just a vet that we worked with. Uh-huh. A lot is going on with him and his widow. Um, so like that, <laughs> that breaks your wall. Um, but right. you do have to have the wall up for the most part to uh, to not end up like this day in and day out. So right. um, you're, you're, you're not. Yeah. You clearly have emotions. <laughs> you um, obviously yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, it's you just, have to have a um, professional distance or right. you yes. would. Yeah. Be, or you just end pieces. up being a moving, blobbering mess day in and day out. So, well, I mean, I, but I mean, I, I know sometimes I worry about myself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cause I I'm mean, like, Oh, you don't have a soul. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Babe. You, you're good. Yeah. You, you feel things. I mean, I mean, I, I, I've barely known you a year, but you have shown me compassion, mm-hmm. so much compassion in the short yeah. time we have been friends. So yeah. I can say, I can attest you are not soulless. That's and, good. And you sometimes, care of yourself. sometimes that compassion is in the form of you telling us just fuck all of it, but it works. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I would say, I would say that that's true about teaching too. I think my yeah. first round of being in education, I didn't do a great job of separating myself from my students. And, 
Um, in one school year, I had babies, right. I had a student in one school year who died in a car accident. Um, a student who was involved in what we call a school shooting because it happened at a bus stop. So technically that is considered a school shooting. Um, I had another student who was incredibly violently raped. Um, and she was actually had been accepted on a full scholarship to the university of Florida. And, um, she suffered traumatic brain injury, so she can't care for herself. Oh. She's in a wheelchair. Um, and mm. to go from this Yikes. girl who was like top of her class to someone who's not really, I mean, she's an adult with a disability. Um, it was on her 18th birthday. And that same year oh. as well. Fuck. I know I, that same year as well, I had another student who was sexually assaulted by a, a friend of hers. Um, and that was just one year uh, and one that came to school Boys high. And um, it was that, that was the year that I broke and was like, I need yeah. out of education. Um, yeah. Now I'm back as a school librarian and I took, I was a public librarian for so long and now I'm a school librarian again. And I've, done a much better job this time around where I am distant. And sometimes I do feel like I'm sort of heartless. Like I hear the stories of the kids and I'm like, eh, not my kid. And that doesn't seem fair, but like if I let them be my children, I couldn't be the mother that I am. Right. I couldn't be a mother to my actual children. Because you have your own family. Right. You have your own family. My sister's actually dealing with something very, uh, her school's not great right now where she is. Right. She's, it's, some kids are having a really hard time and Jesse's having a hard time. It's like her second year teaching yeah. and she's having a hard time separating. And she's actually thinking about moving schools and trying something different. And just, it's just Honestly, ridiculous how hard it is for you guys right now. I can't yeah. imagine being a new teacher right now because this year has just been terrible because kids have forgotten how to do school. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, they forgot how to kid. Yeah. They just, yeah. it's just, yeah. So anyway, so I I understand how you feel. Katie. Back to like, Baltimore stars. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How is it? That you gotta be You gotta have how, no soul sometimes. Yeah. yeah. How is it that this episode Molly is the one trying to keep us on task? How how is that, how is that real? Am I like what happened? I'm um, fidgeting. That's why I'm I'm fidgeting and not distracting you guys. That's why. <laughs> All right, so in Amsterdam, uh, while Augustus, Gus, and Hazel are in Amsterdam, there's a lot that goes down. So here's a few things. Um, we can talk about them kind of as a rapid fire. Um, we There's the champagne drinking on page 153. And what I liked about this was they talk about um, uh, the, the the stars. This is all, we've bottled yes. all the stars for you. And I think yes. it's really cute. But but this is what it happens. Was a cute scene. This is what happens when they're drinking um, the champagne. Um, I'm in love with you. He said quietly, Augustus. I said, I am. He said he was staring at me and I could see in the corners of his eyes crinkling. I'm in love with you. And I'm not in the business of denying myself the simple pleasures of saying true things. I'm in love with you. And I know that love is just a shout into the void and the uh, oblivion is inevitable and that we're all doomed and that there will come a day when our, all our labor has been returned to dust. And I know the sun will swallow the only earth we'll ever have. And I'm in love with you. So that's the moment. It's adorable. <sighs> that was a total. <sighs> like, and you know, he did that like, so well. Yeah. He did that speech. And they, the actor that played Augustus mm-hmm. in so the cute. movie 
did yeah, that so, so well. Yeah. And yeah. he's got that like cute little grin mm-hmm. and it was perfect. It was mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. It was very swoon worthy. Yeah. Where, Extremely. Which, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. both like, cave makes it swoon worthy. You're right. like, yes. oh, like yeah. And, and <laughs> in the movie, they kind of make it be that the that's the point when she falls in love with him. But actually, in the in the book, um, when they're uh, on the airplane to Amsterdam, she says. She mm-hmm. thinks to herself, as he read, I fell in love the way you fall asleep slowly and then all at once. Which, by the way, is my favorite quote of falling in love and is the polar opposite of how I fell in love. But um, I love that. Uh, you felt like a lead balloon? <laughs> Bonk! Um, basically, I loved Tom before I even met him. It was really annoying. He was just supposed to be a free dinner. And I'm sure he's <laughs> laughing hearing this because that I tell him that all the time when he annoys me. I was like, look, you were supposed to be one fucking date. Why are we here? Twelve years later. <laughs> now I got babies. I tell that that all the time. I invited, I invited Matthew Biggs for one to visit for one weekend. I am still waiting for him to go. Y'all got some parasit parasitic type men. Let's mm. let's let's just be honest. Parasites, <laughs> those two. Facts. He has a very cute parasite, though. He's a very cute parasite. Made cute parasite babies. Yeah, I know. I, I actually used to call James exactly. a, a parasite when I was pregnant with him because I just had such a horrific president, pregnancy. I was like, oh, yeah, um, my little parasite. Um, all right, so uh, Van Houten, how do we feel about him? Oh, what a twat waffle, man. That is like the perfect like the other hashtag that is one of my favorites is um hashtag not sponsored, but then my sisters and I have another one that's hashtag don't be a see you next Tuesday. Uh-huh. That's how I felt with Van Houten is hashtag don't be a see you next Tuesday. Like yeah. that dude I don't care I also, if you're drunk, I don't care if you have dementia, like bruh. I, I, I wanna play. Do you um, think he has dementia for him for a minute? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like when you hear what the um, the ramblings, what, well, the ramblings, and then like how his assistant like talks uh-huh. about it. I was like, oh, okay. Well, he's got dementia, so oh, yeah. So um, that's interesting I wanna- because I just thought he was uh, autistic. I thought oh, he was Asperger's. Yeah, Asperger's. Uh, oh yeah, so- I didn't get that at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I-, I can't excuse Van Houten's behavior. I do want to play devil's advocate for a second. As you should. He watched his child die slowly. Mm-hmm. It broke him mm-hmm. into so many pieces. He, the only thing he could do to repair himself was write a book and drink himself into oblivion. Yeah. And I bet you dollars to donuts, he thought he would be dead by now. He thought if he drank enough and for long enough, his liver would quit, his body would shut down, and he would die. And he's been waiting for death. And so this is just him buying time he does not fucking care because he wants to be with his kid again i feel like the movie doesn't do a good job like redeeming him but like the book tries to hazel realizes that the book that she loves he's just broken was a story that he was Mm -hmm. telling as if his daughter got a chance to grow up still died of cancer but got a chance to grow up yeah um and and so they he gets a little bit of a redeeming arc. Um, I didn't think of uh, Alzheimer's being the thing. I mean, I I thought um, I thought I didn't Asperger's get, I didn't because get the, dementia thing. the the, the yeah. oh yeah, that's what I meant. Dementia. I got like the high functioning, um, gifted, but also really bad social skills. So I was thinking it was like Asperger's. Yeah. Um, that's 
Honestly, it was just, it reads like an alcoholic. I grew up with one that's an alcoholic. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Molly's pulling on her experience as a child of an alcoholic. I'm pulling on my experience as raising a kid with autism. And Tom probably is somewhere spectrum-y. And he's not an ass like Van Houten. Like, I feel like I need to defend him. He's not like that. (laughs) Um, And Katie is pulling on her medical on her medical expertise and all three of us have a different opinion, but all of us have yeah. the same conclusion that he's an ass. Like he's not a good guy. Right. He's an ass. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think he's like, an ass by circumstance. He's mm-hmm. an ass by circumstance. I don't think this is who he started out in life as I mm-hmm. think what had happened to him just broke him. I mean, I mean we don't, we I don't know that. I would handle it well. Yeah. And I, I get that. Like, you're allowed to have your hangups at life, and you're allowed to, like, let the world beat you down and break you. But if you legitimately had a kid who has cancer sitting in front of you, two kids that have, and you can't, like, be enough of a, not of a douchebag to dial it back a little right. bit and be like, let me tell you what you want to hear. Like, what kind of prick in the world, like, who hurt you so bad that you can't at least adjust a little bit and not be such a douchebag like i feel like i feel like i would become a drunk angry recluse too if the only child i loved would die this way well i actually i'm not saying that i like i i I just i don't know how to i would go on Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like this conversation is leading well into a, a question i had later in the notes but i'm gonna ask it now um because I have okay. a very strong opinion on this. Do you actually think that he invited them to Amsterdam? Or was his thing, oh, absolutely if not. you're ever in no. Amsterdam, uh-uh. was that more of a yeah. casual? Yeah, so that's how I, I feel I think about it was all too. the assistant. I think it, it was the assistant a yeah. thousand percent. Well, I think he I had no idea about this. I yeah. think yeah. the assistant did all of it and like was just like, hey, remember when you did this thing? And because yeah. he was yeah. drunk, he was like, oh yeah, I totally remember. I think that I think think it was very just a one-off comment yeah like if you're ever in Amsterdam it was just like it was not supposed to be come to Amsterdam and I honestly think that that probably led to the rage that he felt while they were there like he didn't actually ask them to come right right and also he didn't think two kids that were sick were gonna be able to come I mean who thought a girl that come across the ocean but I actually kind of blame all the all the grown-ups that were involved in this because like why didn't you just say that's just a nice comment people say like no you get the genies Mm -hmm. on it and they like make a wish them across the ocean no right no no. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, where was the grown up doing the logistics that yeah. goes, hey, I'm going to follow up with the assistant and just make sure this right. is a real invitation. Legit. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to trust two 16 year olds to have their shit squared away. I guess I don't know enough about <laughs> Make a Wish, but I thought that, like, I just assumed that somebody from Make a Wish, like, attended these big trips. Is that not. Um, okay. So um, my sister hmm. actually, uh, my niece got hers recently. Because of her, um, her little thing, um, I struggle to still talk about it. Obviously, uh, which my niece this. is fine now. She's health. Um, yeah, I'll talk about that. I'll tell you guys later. We'll about talk it. about that later. Um, but yeah, um, but Elizabeth did get hers, and it was kind of there was a lot of logistics involved. Jesse mm-hmm. started talking to the Make a Wish people. Mm-hmm. a year and a half ago and then they just kind of finalized it there's like a lot of 
I and T crossing and like there's a mm-hmm. lot of paperwork before they're just like here you go here's the thing yeah and, yeah and they try to consolidate like if you want a trip they try to consolidate trips and put wish kids like, I wish kids together yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I guess I I guess it makes sense to me when I read this the first time I Gus being sick again and spoiler ultimately dying in this book it didn't I did not see that coming the first time I read it and then the second time I read it I was like why didn't I see it coming when he got a -A make-a-wish like he was without no zero signs of cancer like he shouldn't have gotten a a genie Mm -hmm. that's they call it in the book genie but it's make-a-wish why did he get that? He shouldn't have. Um, and the fact that Hazel does, I mean, right. she does question it. She's like, I didn't think kids that weren't that sick got it. So, you know, it's weird that he has his, but mm-hmm. um, it still floored me. Um, so uh, the Anne Frank house, how do we feel about kissing in the Anne Frank house? Is we okay with this? I think it was I a mean, very poor taste. <laughs> I think it's so weird. Yeah. It's just super weird. Like, yeah. And I, I get it, and didn't get to live a regular teenage life, but are we really yeah. gonna... Like, I just feel like and of all the, whole, the places like, in Amsterdam... It, I was like, Ooh. Yeah. Like, yeah. all the places in Amsterdam, John Green was living there. Of all the places in Amsterdam that you wanted them to kiss for the first time, that's the place you picked? Really? Right. That's it? Yeah. Super weird. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been Super to Amsterdam, weird. so I've never actually been to the Anne Frank house. However... Um, I I went to Auschwitz in Poland and in, in Warsaw, Poland. Um, and while I while I was on this trip where I was backpacking Europe, I took pictures of everything. I'm a scrapbooker, so I literally took pictures of everything. And this was still a film camera, so I spent a shit ton of money getting filmed about. I bet when we went to Amps- when we went to uh, Auschwitz, which is a concentration camp. Um, it's the one that Ellie Vazell was in, if anyone knows the story of Night, which Ellie Vazell is um, the author of that. The day that we were there, I couldn't even take my camera out because I just felt like this is someone's, like, this is sacred ground. Like, this is some, this is wrong. Like, I cannot, being an Auschwitz, I didn't want to um, integrate myself into it. This felt like this was, you can't be a part of that. You can't. Um, yeah. That is something that's sacred ground for people. There were, you know, whatever. Um and Frank House feels the same way as to me. Like I just feel like that was a level of disrespect that I, I, I can't, I, I can't fathom that level of disrespect, and I can't, I can't marry that into this book, which I love very much, and I love John Green. Right. But th- that really bothered well, me. You could have picked anywhere, it's, John. Um, it's a massive tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. And we're using it to make it a meet cute, and it just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I get what John was trying to do, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to be like, look, Anne was a, teen, a teenager, a kid who didn't get to live life. And these kids who are barely have a life are living it. Yeah. I, I get the fucking metaphor. I get it. I don't like it. I still yeah. just don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Poor okay. taste, John. Poor I'll, taste. I'll allow the bell on that one. Um, so I want to talk about what happens after they kiss at the Anne Frank house. They have sex. Um, and I think, I think it's, I think it's very sweet how they discuss. Um, so the scene where they have sex, they talk about what to do with Gus's prosthetic. He's uncomfortable because he wants her to know 
he describes where his leg, his actual leg ends and where the prosthetic starts. And, and I wanted to talk about this because I'm going to link this video. It's adorable. A fan of John Green's who is a teenager. He's an amputee. Um, he thanked John Green for telling him what to do with his leg when he has sex for the first time. <laughs> and I just think John comes down and like hugs him. And I just think that's amazing. Like what a fan <laughs> moment that like, he didn't know what to do with his leg when he had sex. And now he does. I mean, well, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing. Sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, an uncomfortable you know. thing. Like, especially when it's your first time, there's so many mm-hmm. things you don't know where, if, or if it's going to fit together, how yeah. it's going to be. And then throw in a hard plastic that mm-hmm. you, yeah, can flop around. And you're not fully in control of it. You know, he can't, he has a hard time feeling it when he's driving. So imagine right. Right. trying to not think about that and being that's all you can think about i thought it was a very very sweet scene i really i really like oh that's well it was realistic yeah Yeah. right yeah and when they get like tangled in her oxygen tubing i was like oh that's again realistic um and it reminded me so stupid it reminded me of grace (laughs) katie doesn't watch the kids that got caught having oh sorry Weber's niece. Oh, I thought you were talking about that. Weber's niece. No, no, no. I was talking about when Callie and uh, um, yeah, Arizona's the... cancer kid was in the, yeah. his mom's van and the, the something falls off the down. Yeah. Then... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was sweet. Uh, I thought... If I can find the scene on YouTube, I'll put it on. <laughs> I, I thought the, it was sweet in the too. notes. Or- I think he handled that scene very delicately. Um, it's a cut to yeah. black because it's YA, so there we don't like. It's not like right. we're reading Love Hypothesis. We obviously are getting it. the gory details, right? Right. But I like I like how careful they that- were with each other. I think that scene echoes back to when you say he wrote it for this girl that he knew, I think that is more of him being tender with the characters too. Like, I really felt like he cared about what was going on there where it was just like, you know, it would be like soft lighting and just fade. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially compared to like, give them the respect that they, you know, especially compared to the way he handled sex in looking for Alaska. Like the way he talked about blowjobs in looking in Alaska versus this. I mean, it is night and day. It seems yeah. like two different writers. Right. So I I appreciated right. it, especially for a YA book. He was very <clears throat> I, he was very careful with the characters of Hazel and Gus. And and he has he said that yeah. he feels very fortunate that um he was the author of this book. Um so oh, uh you know sweet. Yeah. That is sweet. Yeah. All right, so is uh is it is uh um, apart from the dying, is Augustus a good, is he boyfriend girl goals, you know, apart from the dying, is he, is he boyfriend goals yeah. for you guys? I think he is. Um, yeah. it, I think dying, he cares about her. He listens to her. He takes interest in the things she does. He's there for her. Um, but he's, he's also, he's, what makes him also boyfriend goals, I think is the perfect scene to explain it is when he's calls her and he, and his friend just got broken up with. And he's like, is support uh-huh. group Hazel going to help or hinder? And he's paying attention to both of them at the same time, right? Yeah. He's letting his friend yeah. break the trophies. And he's still having a conversation with Hazel. He is able to be both to both of them. 
in that yeah. moment. And yeah. I think that makes him a well-rounded yeah. boyfriend, right? Yeah. Like, Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I he's definitely also, one of scene. <laughs> it, it, yes, and in the movie, I think they handled that scene so well. It's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. It is um, so great, and you know, and all I could think of that scene when I was watching that was uh-huh. actually lo- my life here is because uh-huh. m- it's chaotic here, right? Yes. Five animals, two kids, everybody's yelling. Something's always going Sometimes on. Sometimes they're having kid. serious, right? And like. But I'm still able to have a serious conversation with Matt and handle that mm-hmm. on the side. So it's like go into the serious and then laugh at whatever the stupid shit they're doing, then back to the serious. So it felt very mature for the, that scene felt mm-hmm. very mature and a very like immature setting and immature yes. time because he's literally breaking up with, he just broke up with his first girlfriend ever. <laughs> yeah. So the actor that plays him in the movie is called, his name is Ansel. Elgort, I think is maybe how I say his last name, but Ansel's his first name. He and Shailene Woodley, at the same time this movie came out, they're playing brother and sister in the Divergent series. The very first Divergent movie came out at the exact same time. It was weird. It was so weird. Super weird. I mean, like, super what? weird. Because What's going I saw, on here? Yeah, I saw The Fault in Our Stars first, and I was just so in love with their love but story. But they have a chemistry, but they have and, such a chemistry in divergent too that yeah. makes it awkward that they're siblings yeah those two really have does. an on-screen chemistry that they should be filming more movies together they yeah. have rom but n- like but rom-com, not when they're rom-com brother and sister. all over them <laughs> right. no it's <laughs> creepy agreed well, I, yeah. I, I, I'm and i loved shailene whatever yeah i loved her as hazel Mm-hmm. hated her as Triss. Like, just want to oh, get yeah. that very clear. Like, Oh, she's not Triss. I was like, she doesn't have, this? Yeah. She has yeah. zero, she has zero grit to her. I think but she was very Hazel pivot. Grace. Like, very oh, yeah. Hazel Grace. I think yeah. she was trying to pivot her career to try to mirror like Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and do these yeah. big or budget. Or be more serious. Yeah. YA, um, the fault in our stars is her speed. Like everything that I've seen her in, I really like her. Um, and everything I've seen well, her in, except for Divergent, she was in. I feel like she's the show. Uh, Big Little Lies uh, is the American Teenager. Yeah, American Teenager. Yeah, show. She was excellent in that. I really liked that show, like the first season, but like then it just like went off the rails and got a little crazy. Like it was insane. But uh, oh, like, it and, became a shit everybody show. Everybody got pregnant. Everybody got pregnant. But um. Yeah, but I I really like her, and I think she's a really great actress. And the movie that she did with George Agreed. Clooney, and uh, the name escapes me right now, but the movie she did with George the Clooney, Descendants, she, yes, she was nominated for a lot of awards. Um, and I think she was right. trying to. You I know, don't think she was that good in that movie. Oh, I thought she was fantastic. I don't think she was that good. She did not have that much screen time. I just no, I thought she was fantastic. I didn't like that movie at all. Um, like, I think she was trying to mirror her her co- career uh, like jennifer lawrence like she did these serious films and well, then like she did these so big good. budget yeah but she was not mm-hmm. a good tress i agree well, with honey you. she ain't no Je- she's not jennifer lawrence Mm-mm. but i think not i i would not say that in she's an that actress. aspect she has yeah. her own positive attributes but she's mm-hmm. not she's not she wasn't tris she wasn't right. tris like jennifer absolutely. lawrence's katniss like they, they're, they're absolutely they're just two she different just actors they're yeah. just two different actresses yep. yeah i think in a few years yeah. we'll, she'll win she'll get an oscar i think that'll happen in her lifetime she's got well what was momentum. that most recent one that um 
That new Netflix movie she was just in. She was really great in that. Oh, I don't know if a Netflix movie she did, but she she was really good in HBO's uh, Big Little Lies. Um, but uh, so circling back, I'm a sucker for the YA archetype of the boyfriend with the crooked smile. It's PETA. It's Gus. Mm-hmm. Um, the last letter from your lover is the book movie. Okay, and that's based on a book, isn't it? Yeah, we may ha- we but may have it's a really wordy that. title. Oh, okay. Well, we may have to read that one. Um, well, anyway, um, I, that that we talked about that in a, a few episodes ago when we talked about PETA. You know, what is the adjective that you want to throw in to describe his smile? And they just always put in crooked. And yeah. I swear, <laughs> every time they describe the crooked smile, I'm like, yep, that's my book. That's my new book, my friend. And I married a man with a crooked smile. Like Tom has that little Aww. crooked smile and I'm just a sucker for it. He's quite cute. I told him the other day, I'm quite taken with you. And he's like, you need to stop watching English period dramas. I was like, <laughs> I'll try. Um, all right. So these are questions really for like Katie. So, um, you know, Molly, you can chime in, I guess, if you want. Um, but uh, so this book talks about the side effects of dying. And some of these include depression, cancer itself, and worry. Would you agree with this list? Yep. Oh, totally. That and more. Um, so people don't realize like the, and I, I tell my patients this a lot of the times too, the um, mental anguish and di- uh, di- diagnosis delivery, like is, can be akin to the same amount of stress spikes as hearing that your partner died. Um, so I tell my patients like, you have to process this just like you were just told your partner died. You have to be angry. You have to be sad. You have to be depressed. You have to find acceptance. You have to go through all of these because if you don't, you're going to get stuck in one. Um, I had a little lady the other day. She's not tolerating therapy. Well, she has very treatable, very manageable cancer. She's going to do four treatments before surgery. She's going to have surgery. She's going to be fine afterwards. But she thought because she was going to have probably curative surgery that she didn't, she didn't feel like she could allow herself to go through those. And I was like, no, no, you have to go through those. This is, Mm -hmm. this is a journey and there are multiple stops along the train route and you are allowed to get off at any one of those. You just can't live there. Like you have to get back in the train and keep moving forward. And curables, I mean, isn't a guarantee either, right? Something could still happen. So you still need to be prepared. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feel the feelings, huh? That's the advice, Katie. (laughs) Feel it. Exactly. Process it. Go through it. Or it's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the ass. And then you're going to have an epic meltdown. And you're going to be stuck there for three weeks where if you just would have, like, acknowledged mm-hmm. it and dealt with it it would have taken five days so i'm i mean there's the, a quote yeah. from the book pain demands to be felt and i mean i feel like that's yep. the same thing yeah processing your mm-hmm. diagnosis yep. um i never thought yeah. of cancer yep. itself being a side effect of dying um and i just think <laughs> that hazel's way of looking at it um i just it, it was profound to me that, um, and I also yeah. like the line um, in the book, uh, where is it? There is no honor in dying of. And I think that um, yep. we don't like to talk of people died of this, you know? Um, 
and and mm-hmm. right kids these are kids that are dying of and there's th- that line there is no and they're making adult decisions right mm-hmm. right i think one thing that a lot of my patients struggle with especially when we're talking about end of life is that they've somehow given up the fight mm-hmm. um and a lot of the times you you know because they're like i've fought so hard for so long yeah you really have and that was a kick-ass fight. But sometimes you win all these fights and you still lose the war. Right. You know, and it's, it's so there's nothing wrong with saying, like, I'm done fighting. Like, it's okay right. to say, I can't do it anymore. I can't fight right. anymore. Because when you think about what your system goes through when you're fighting, that's running on adrenaline. And you can't, yeah. you can't fight for forever. And it's okay. It's okay to be like, I'm done. I can't fight anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the body can fun, wear out. Yeah. yeah, and the body can wear out from the fighting process, um, and so that you what you oh, actually sure. die from is not the cancer. You die from yep. all of the things that have happened side effects during the mm-hmm. treatments. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, John, I have, um, a more technical technical question. Sure. Uh, okay. Um, you so can interrupt when, my questions. Just go real ahead. quick. Do I'm sorry. I'm, not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Just do it. Um, it's, fine. <laughs> it's fine. Her feelings aren't hurt at all. It's fine. Um, it just fine. came to thought when Hazel gets really when Hazel gets put into the hospital mm-hmm. and they're talking about this fluid building up in her lungs. It, I. I kind of want to get graphic on it because they're talking about how it's like cancer fluid. Is yep. this literally like fluid just filled with cancer cells? Is yeah, it water? What, what's going on? So I'm Curious you, okay. minds want to know. So your white blood cells think, you know, go to attack, right? So right. it's like a cascade and there's a bunch of them there and they start attacking it and they build up all these byproducts of it. So that's, it's called a plural effusion. So it's efflu- effluent is the word. Um, so when they tap it, you literally can put it under the microscope and see that it has cancer cells floating around. Mm. Now, a, lo- a lot of the time it happens with um, cervical and ovarian cancer. Patients will have reactionary inf- effusions because their system's like, what is going on? I don't know where to go. I'm going to find the path of least resistance. Let's go to the lungs. So when you and tap so they just, that their fluid, lungs just fill? their lungs just flew up with fluid and you put a chest tube in and you drain it off. And sometimes it gets better. Sometimes it'll come back like that. Um, we have several patients that they have drains that we leave in. And mm. it's just like a little tap that once a, once or twice a week, you're turning the tap, you're draining the fluid off, and you're you're closing the tap back off because their body's just going to keep reaccumulating that fluid. So, if so the fluid with stays the, with, in the lungs for too long, does it spread? It doesn't spread, but it's basically like it's like Browning. basically putting a sponge in your lung. Then the air exchange won't occur occur at the cellular level because there's fluid there. So interesting. So you Thank basically you. are drowning. Yeah. It's and it's um, very scary when patients so, start to work when they start to work hard th- like that. It's very scary for patients like that. Oh wow! So with the type of cancer that yeah. Hazel has and the severity of how much the fluid is building up, would she have likely have had um, the tap put in? Would that have been 
Yeah. And, and, um, it says it, um, Gus talks about when he had his PET scan and it lit up, he snuck into the ICU and it uh-huh. said that she was intubated. So she had, right. she had a breathing tube down her throat and the machine mm-hmm. was doing the breathing for her and she had a drainage tube. So, cause right. her, her take of when she was in ICU is a blur, of course, cause she was right. sedated, but, mm-hmm. but he says he saw her with that. So yeah, she would have had a, a chest tube. So no, but I mean, with that, I didn't realize you could keep it in like, I, um, yeah, yeah, I didn't, didn't either. have a long-term one. Yeah, she yeah. probably just had a temporary one. So, yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Wow. So, yeah. uh, John Green admits in the author's note that he disregarded the science at times to the story because he wanted to tell the story he wanted mm-hmm. to tell. Um, does he get the science mostly right? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, Katie? I think he does. Yeah, I think I think he does so much better than the chick that Jody Picoult, like, that mm-hmm. with the the uh, uh my sister, my sister, sister keeper i feel like because yeah there wasn't so much of in this book he this was very much a component their cancer diagnoses hazel's everything that's going on with her everything that's going on with him that was a component of the story but it wasn't driving the story yeah i feel like he was focused more on their relationship and everything whereas it was more in the periphery versus more in the center Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he did a good job. I like that he recognized that like the targeted therapy could cause the side effects because mm-hmm. it can. Like there is a targeted mm-hmm. therapy that we use right now for breast cancer that can cause heart failure. So I was nice. like, okay, I see you. Good job. You know, like he did do a little bit of a research there. I, I thought he did a good job. He just didn't ignore science yeah. completely. That's good. Yeah. 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 I it mean, felt that's really very good. authentic. I, so I think he talks about in the author's note, um, that he did research. I can't remember who he spoke with, but um, yeah. somebody helped him. Doctor um, friend. So you mentioned that uh, Augustus Gus's pet skin lit up like a Christmas tree. Does yeah. the Mets glow like on the yes. lights? Does it show so, like a? How does it show yeah. up? So a PT a pet scan um, positive uh, uh, electron something. I can't remember what it says. Um, emissions. I'll put the description, I'll put the answer in the notes. It's a CT scan. Um, So it's it's usually a skull to mid-thigh. So from from the top of the head all the way down into the bone, because once you get kind of the lower bones, it's not as important to see. Um, So when you see the CT scan. cut it off, it's fine. Exactly. (laughs) When you see the imaging, it literally, you'll have um, higher levels of brightness based on metastatic disease. So when patients do light up, it's usually not good. That means you've got extensive metastatic disease. If it's brighter in one area, that means you have more of a concentration. So if you light up higher in the lungs versus the spleen versus the bone, um, Mm -hmm. things like that. And then you can have just like, um, sometimes patients will still light up, but it's not metastatic disease. So sometimes they'll have like something going on in their lymph nodes that it'll light up, but not as bright. So that's where you have to look at like the different levels of how mm-hmm. bright it is when they light up. Okay. So, so but it literally lights up. Uh, uh, this is not medical advice, besties. Hear me. We are just having a conversation. So does brightness mean that it's worse? Like, so the brighter it is, Usually, stage four, yeah. the lighter it is, stage one. No, not necessarily, because okay. staging doesn't have anything to do with. Um, with that, sometimes okay. patients. Sometimes you can have super brightness, but it's. Um, concentrated only to the chest like let's say you have a lung patient who they glow in the chest but everywhere else they're fine so that wouldn't be as bad as let's say if they lit up in the spleen or in the abdomen or something like that okay so So how common would it be for someone like Gus who 
uh, seemingly we thought he was cancer free to come in and the only symptom that he was having was pain in his hip and then he would be full of cancer. How common would that be? Yeah. How common is reoccurrence? More common than you think. Um, so ah. that's kind of what happened with really Stephanie. Um, yeah. Her original site was in her rib, had surgery, had chemo, did okay. Um, and then had about a, a little bit of a plateau and came back and it had, had met multiple areas. So mm. is it, be, is it now like Augustus, is it, even if they remove the bones, it's still in the bones. Is that what it, yeah. is so that what I'm be, understanding? Yeah. So metastatic disease, like if you have metastatic disease, that means that your cancer has literally uprooted and moved. One of the hallmark abilities of a cancer cell is its ability to move to a different body part, reestablish blood flow and reestablish permanence in that um, mm -hmm. organ. So every cell doesn't have the ability to move. Cancer cells do. So mm -hmm. if you were to take a cell from anywhere that he was metastatic, it would look the exact same as where his primary site was. That's how we know it's metastatic oh, wow. disease and not a secondary tumor. So my father-in-law he was metastatic renal cell, right? So when they mm -hmm. first found his cancer, it was in his lungs. So they thought, oh, it's lung cancer. He's a smoker, probably there. When they biopsied up. it, yeah, when they biopsied it, no, this was a renal cell. This was a, a shape of a renal cell. We could tell it was a renal cell. So then when they scanned him, they said, oh, yeah, your kidneys are lighting up. So this is renal cell that had moved to the lung. Then he wow. developed a secondary lesion that they re-biopsied that and that was lung cancer. So he had two primaries. So cancer is why, tricky. Yeah. That's why it's wow. smart. It's a very, very smart. The cancer cell. I'm sorry. I, I my brain is just, I know. Like crazy. <laughs> I know. It's so the crazy. cancer cell in your kidney, literally, if it metastasizes, it literally moves the kidney cell with the cancer in it mm -hmm. and goes to your mm -hmm. lungs. Like it is yeah, now a kidney cell living cell. in your son. Lung. Yeah, you have one oh. cell that's like, I'm going to be an asshole. And then it starts oh building its own blood supply and replicating and making all of its other asshole cells. And then one of those asshole cells is like, I'm going to go be an asshole in the lung. So it's basically like, just moving up there and being like, hey, now I'm an asshole in the lung and I'm going to get my own blood supply and do that up here too. So, so when I thought cancer question. spread, I didn't realize the cancer spread like like you. I just thought like oh, the that. cancer was just in other places. I didn't realize like you can actually tell that this cancer started here yeah. because this is what the cell is. Yeah. Oh my god. That's how we know how to treat it. If it's, <sighs> if it's metastatic, like let's say it's metastatic breast. If you, if you look at breast... If it, if it comes back as breast tissue in the mm -hmm. lung, you're like, why is there breast tissue in the lung? Or why is there pancreatic cancer in the lung? Why is there lymphoma cells in the lung? Because the way mm -hmm. they look under the microscope. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Random this is question. why we have Katie on here, because she just educates <laughs> the hell out of us. Super right random question. So are the, is there any way they can like study these cells and how they're regenerating in recode them so that they could be used for healthier input that's the million like, dollar question right there that is literally the cure for cancer so because um, it, it, it sounds like i mean i obviously am not smart i mean my degree is in english and writing i do not have a scientific dome it yeah. just it sounds like that would be the 
the fix if we could yep. science the hell out of it. Yep. But sciencing the hell out of it. So yep. the, the line that she says, the, the cancer made of him is literally what it is, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. It, yep. it, it was made yep. of him and killed him. It's just yep. wild. I mean, yep. it's just a, a different variation of what I have then, huh? Yeah. Because so my white blood cells are constantly attacking my joint. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cancer cells are just wow. asshole cells, like one rogue asshole cell. And it's not even the whole cell. It's the DNA that just is like, Hey, I'm going to be a douche and wreck havoc on everything. So fuck That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Sorry cancer. to derail questions. No, I mean, this I, yeah, is I just, like, we're, we're getting, I, so, I, I, like, I just, my brain just started going. <laughs> I feel like Katie is like legitimizing our podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. All right. So, uh, so this book has a supply surprise twist, which we've talked about already. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of Hazel dying as expected, we expect Hazel to die in this book. Um, Gus's cancer right. is back. She tells us she's terminal. dying in the beginning, <laughs> right? And Gus's cancer is back, and he's terminal. And during his death, Hazel is by his side. And here are some things I wanted to talk about. And a lot of this is uh, questions that I have because we have our good friend nurse Katie with us, but um, dying with dignity. So Gus tries to maintain his dignity, but with his failing health, he is unable to, um, would you say this is accurate for terminal cancer patients? 110%. Um, a lot of times patients to their own detriment will not accept help. They, you see so many um, women who are the leader of their family. Um, mm-hmm. African-American women are some of the, hardest to get to admit when they are struggling. African-American women are the rulers of their family. So for them to be feeling like shit and being like, I can't do this anymore. That is a hard place to get to for African-American women more so than men, more so than younger patients. But you have a 50 year old African-American woman. She is not stopping for shit. She got stuff to do. She got Mm -hmm. kids to raise. She got a job to go. So it's very hard when you're getting there to have them accept help and be like, this is, this is, this is killing you. You have to do the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, cancer patients are not in control of their body and what happens Mm -hmm. to their body for a lot of their care. So dying with dignity, when you're starting to lose control of your bowel, Mm -hmm. of your bladder, that's, Mm -hmm. that's like a, kicking the nuts basically like cancer kicking your ass and and making your life more miserable so Mm. yeah i think it's not fun i think the scene with gus uh at the gas station where he just wants to do one thing for himself and instead i was like that that got to me Mm -hmm. yeah that 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 one i was like oh oh baby oh buddy and then when she's like my what does she even she says something about the love of my life or whatever is has an alpha you too i i did have to close my book and put it down for a minute and take a moment because that's what she sees in him not the g-tube not the puke everywhere she sees the love of her life in distress and that's i'm gonna cry okay Yeah, that that, that scene scene is rough, right? Because Mm -hmm. she's, it's not just that, like, he's feeling betrayal. She knows Mm -hmm. she's betraying him, Mm -hmm. but she still has to do what's best for him. What's best for him, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was one where I was like, I'm gonna take a minute on this one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a really hard scene. And I feel like from that point to the end of the book, you can just cry through the whole thing because it's that, it's just all downhill. Right, because he declined very fast. 
Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've watched, I, I, I was young, but I did see my grandfather pass away from cancer and mm-hmm. it was slow and you just watched them wither away. That's the yeah. only way I could explain. That's, that's, that's right. my recollection of it as a child was he was just, he was a small man to begin with. He was mm-hmm. five, three, five, four, and mm-hmm. he just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was like he was evaporating. It's the mm-hmm. only way I can explain it. Yeah. Every patient has a pitching, a tipping point. Every patient, every diagnosis, every disease, every patient has a tipping point. And you can see, especially in cancer patients, when they start to tip the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. Like every patient has a tipping point. And, you, you know, for ICU patients, you hope they tip towards the better. But cancer patients, when you see them tip, you are like, okay, here we go. So, and it's, yeah. it's, it can be hard. It can be real hard when you see them. Can I ask you, does intuition kind of kick in? Like you see a degeneration and you're like, or you see they're, they look different and you're like, yeah. Hey, let's run some labs. Let's see what's yeah. going on. Oh yeah. And you have to trust your spidey sense a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of changes that will occur and that's why I love my job because mm-hmm. I see patients so frequently um, where you're, when you're seeing a treatment patient every two weeks, like you, you can tell from the door, like mm-hmm. what's going on. And sometimes you're like, you know, let me, let me press on your belly a little bit. Let me listen to your lungs. Let me run a couple more labs. Like you have that where you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't like the way this is look. And then sometimes you're like, oh shit. Yeah, I was totally wrong. And you're like, thank God. But then other times you're like, yeah, but I saw that one. I would coming. rather be safe than sorry. In those yeah. I'd rather be <laughs> wrong than right. sorry. Yeah. I'd right. totally rather right. be wrong than sorry. Yeah. Right. Um, um, wow. Hazel, Hazel notices that Gus's family talk to him like he's a baby. And when he's dying, um, she tries to d- demonstrate like proper behavior yep. In this, yep. um, do you see this with your patients? Do people start uh, talking so to much. them? Yeah. Yeah. How does that um, make you feel? I get, I get angry and I'm not above calling out. Like mm-hmm. I will say, actually, let's let them answer. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. I want the patient to tell me what's going on. I'm not above yeah. being like, actually, I was, I was talking to them. Like, Right. I need to know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can tell me how many diarrhea stools they've had. You can tell me what meds they took. You can tell me all this, but I need to hear it from them. Yeah. And I have... Because they're the only asked, one they can explain what it feels like to be in their body. Exactly. Right. I've asked family members to step out of a room so that I can have a conversation with a patient because... And, and you have to like know though too those family members are living their own personal hell too. So you have to respect that and you have to know that. But at the same time, they're not my patient. My patient is my patient. So I have to advocate for my patient. And sometimes it means asking the family, you know what? I need to step out for a few minutes. So, I mean, I know this isn't the same. My cousin has muscular dystrophy and I know that is nowhere near the same as cancer. Um, Still. Right. It still sucks. Um, she's, 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 uh, been in a wheelchair, um, permanently, I would say probably for 10 years now, prior to that, she was able to use her chair when she got tired. Um, but, uh, she's had to be in it completely for about 10 years. And I do see people treat her differently. Um, they will, uh, talk to her like she's a baby. There's nothing wrong with her mind. Mm -hmm. She, yep. all of her mental faculties are there. Um, yep. She just happens to have a physical disability. Um, and yep. on a related note, but 
kind of related note. If you are somebody that is talking to somebody in a wheelchair, please do not touch their wheelchair. That is a part of their body. Like that is. Yep. Thank you. Consent. that is like that is that like is touching that is like touching yes. someone on the arm that doesn't want to be touched. Like this is their this is a part of them. Yep. So it's their space. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I used to have a rheumatologist that would talk to Matthew when he entered the room. Mm. Oh, that would drive me nuts. Mm-mm. I mean, no. I'm obviously not dying and very capable of speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. And he would yeah. walk in and be like, How's she doing? And yeah. I'd be like, She's right here. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and again, Matthew could see things I don't, and can reiterate. How, you know, mm-hmm. I will downplay my pain. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I am guilty of that. Yeah. But to first walk into a room and acknowledge mm-hmm. him Mm-mm. and speak no. to yeah. him, like I'm not in the room, no, is no disrespectful. I have one little old guy who told his wife flat out one day, "The cancer is not in my damn brain. I can answer for myself." <laughs> it was like. Good on him. Good on him. You go, boo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she just kind of was like, huh. and I'm like, well, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> so. All right. So I mean, after, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so here's the scenes we are dreading talking about, but here we go. So Gus wants to attend his funeral. He has a last good day where Hazel and Isaac eulogize him. But I, I actually, this is my precursor question, Katie. Is the last good day a thing? Like, is that a thing where... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yep. like, the bounce back. Yeah. And-, and then a patient... Um, yeah. It's kind of when they rally. Um, a lot of patients will rally, and they'll have a really great day, and their pain will be low, and their appetites will be up. And it it's kind of a bitch because family members are like, oh, they had, they did so good. And they're then, bouncing, but they think they're bouncing back. They think they're bouncing back, and it, and it is just a, the last good day. And it mm. sucks because... You, that's what you want the family to remember is that last good day. Yeah. But for them, a lot of the times it's the last good day and then they die. So, yeah. right. Yeah. It, it well, kind of gets jaded, huh? Yeah. 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 Hazel says you don't know it's the last good day until you know it's the last it's good day. Gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was really a thing. I, it happens on Grey's Anatomy too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, it we does when Mark Sloan dies. They call it the surge on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Um, surge, yeah, yep. it's the rally. Yep, yeah. Um, all right, so Hazel chooses to save her true eulogy for only Gus. Um, and yeah. the reason she does that is because she feels that funerals are for the living, not for the dead. Um, so I was wondering how you all feel about that. Agreed, yeah. Agreed. Um, when my father in law died, um, my girls are. 13 and 14 now they were 12 and 13 my girls are, have always been very close to my father-in-law he was very very active in their life from the time they were born um both of them wrote a letter to my father-in-law that we just folded up and tucked into his shirt pocket at the viewing and he was cremated with it and i asked both of my girls do you want me to read your letters and chloe very much did not did not want me to do that. She needed to say what she needed to say. And I said, that's fine, sis. Like Mm -hmm. Carl and I had conversations before he died. So when we were taking the ventilator off of him and we knew it was impending very soon, my mother-in-law said, you know, do you want time with him? And I said, no, I've, I've told him him what I need to tell him. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to say it, you patients when they're living and sometimes you don't and you just have to wait and send it knowing that mm-hmm. 
that they know. Like you, you oh, have Katie, to just I'm know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I knew I was gonna cry. That's why I didn't wear a lot of eyeliner. But you know, like you just have to have enough faith in your love mm-hmm. for that person to know that they know. So, well, yeah. I mean, the way that Hazel eulogizes him, um, it's freaking it was beautiful. beautiful. It, was, it beautiful. was very beautiful. Um, yeah, that's where I was like, okay, I really like him as a writer. Like, I really right. like. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, like on the John Green, oh my God, train well, until and, that, and I was like, okay, well, I see you over there writing like well, that. And, like yeah. the the like Hazel says, the funeral is for the living because yeah. they're not around to care anymore, and I I don't mean to say that to be heartless. No, it's the truth, though. Yeah, they're not here to hear you. They're not here to feel what you're feeling. You, you need to have your feelings. You need to. But I mean, I've had so many family members that have passed that said, "I don't want you to be sad," and they then their their children hold these massive mournful things. This actually just happened recently. My great aunt died. She Mm -hmm. knew it was her time. She knew her lungs were giving up. She. She goes, I don't want a big thing. I, yeah. I, I don't want this. I want a small service at mm-hmm. the family church and that's it. And did her daughter listen? Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it was about them at that point. Right. And it's yeah. just. I, and I have my lost- daughter, my oldest Sorry. daughter did not go to my father-in-law's funeral. Um, mm-hmm. She, she had a track meet and coming up and they were practicing passing the baton. And Mm -hmm. one of my father-in-law's absolute greatest joys in this life was seeing his grandkids excel and do all that. Mm -hmm. So I asked my mother-in-law, is it okay? And she said, no, if that's what she needs to do, she needs to do that because that's what he would want. And that was like the one time that I was like, it's not a, you know, it needs to, not be about us and just no really yeah so yeah there's I feel a, like um go ahead Abra, i'm gonna find a, a note that i made okay um i feel like um, uh, i i have um i have lost someone that i watched long suffer um my uncle my senior year of college uh died well essentially he died of a brain tumor but he died of aids and i watched him suffer for a very mm-hmm. long time while he lived with AIDS for a significant amount of time. And I felt like when he died, mm-hmm. I was ready. I was able to say my goodbyes to him. Mm-hmm. I was able to eulogize him in his life. I didn't call it that. But um, when, when we had his mm-hmm. funeral, I felt peace. When my grandmother died, incredibly mm-hmm. suddenly. There was no peace. There was no peace in it and there still isn't. And it's been many years. Oh. And um, at her you got funeral, me going now. thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> at her funeral, I spoke no, and I said the things I wanted to say to her at the funeral because I needed to do that. But I did not have the peace that I had getting to say it while my uncle was alive. You know what I mean? And I think the way that yeah. Hazel does yeah. it. Um, what she says in her eulogy is um, she's talking about numbers and I love that she talks about math because I think it's really sweet. Um, and John Green actually has been criticized because the math is not correct in here, but who cares? Who cares? Um, she says, uh, <laughs> uh, Gus, my love, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for our little infinity. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You gave me a forever with 
it within the numbered days and I'm grateful. And like how yeah. better to describe any love story than that, right? That's the end of their love mm-hmm. story. I mean, Hazel, I don't know that Hazel yeah. would re- really ever find anyone else again because it's likely that she would die within a few years anyway, right? So right. is she really going yeah. to fall in love again? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that moment, that's how but you she feel. may not even want to, honestly. Well, yeah, she may not want to. Yeah. That's the great love of her life. And, um, you know, we're yeah. all married women. I can't imagine losing my partner, my husband, the love of my life. And I feel like I would feel the same as Hazel. Like you gave me an infinity in a number of yeah. days and it doesn't matter how many days those are. Mm-hmm. That was our infinity. And that's one of the things I just love about this book. Yeah. I feel like it's so, it's so tender and it's true love. Um, and, and the right. death is just, and, and, and it's, it's, the death um, is just a side effect of this and book. It's observation. Right. It's an observation on how we love as well. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I So I tagged that quote, April, because I thought it was super sweet. And then I didn't tag anything until she gets the letter from Van from Van Houten. Van oh, which I cried the whole three. That Gus sends to him. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And he says, but Van Houten, the Marks leave the, the Mark's human leave are too often scars. You build a hideous minimal or start a coup and try to become a rock star and think they'll remember me now. But A, they don't remember you. Or B, all you leave behind are more scars. Your coup becomes a dictatorship. Your minimal becomes a lesion. For some reason, that spoke to me, too. Like, that you you do leave a mark. And yeah. sometimes it's a huge... And it's it's... It can be a lesion versus just a scratch. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that's kind of what Gus did to Hazel too. Was there's very much a lesion in her life, yeah. That's now, and I think a lot a lot of people have that in a death in their life that it's a Mm -hmm. lesion now, and it it changes the structure of the the organ and the person. So, well, I mean, April and I have talked about this before. My grandmother also died suddenly when I was a young adult. And it sits hollow in my heart. Sorry. Yep. It's, it has broken me and my sister in ways our childhood never could. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry. Move we on. Gotta, <laughs> we are a okay. hot mess this episode. We, we, we've got to have you on an episode. <laughs> my running. <laughs> um, I, I, my I mascara's running. My mascara's running. <laughs> I, I like but how, how we do um, some more. Um, <laughs> right, we need to do something. Oh, but, yes, about it but um, you mentioned but yes, it he, is something that will break you forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned he says it as a lesion, and she says um, uh, that she saves her ten. So um, when you go oh, to the hospital, yes. they give you mm-hmm. a, what's your pain scale, and she's a, a nurse told her that she was strong because she called a nine a 10 a nine and she said that she was saving her 10 because what hurt her worse was the pain of losing losing gus and she refers to herself as a grenade she was afraid she was gonna blow up and everybody around her um and and i love this quote grief does not change you hazel it reveals you and that's the point where van howard was trying to tell her like this is how you this is your life now on. This is the grief that you have to carry. Yep. And what you do with that grief, it is who you will become from now on. Yep. Um, yep. 
And uh, of course, this great yeah. quote that ends the book, and we'll talk about the ending of the book in just a second, because I know Katie has a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> uh, you don't get to choose if you get hurt in this world, old man, but you do have a say in who hurts you. I like my choices. I hope she likes yep. hers. Yes. Um, Gus's letter to Van Houten, which is kind of where the book ends and where the movie ends. Um, you get to see this is Hazel's letter that Gus has written. He's trying to write her a eulogy. Um, and uh, it ends basically with her saying, okay. And when, when Katie finished the book, she texted us, did he just fucking Van Houten us? So Katie, please share your thoughts on the ending. <laughs> I just, I, you know, in, in Van Houten's book, he talks about how, and Hazel really wants to know what happens to the Dutch man, what happens to the mom. Like, she's really right. focused on that. And then when John Green does that to us, like, how does, when does Hazel die? What goes, what mm -hmm. goes on with her? What happens to her mom and dad? Like, mm -hmm. he just fucking Van houten us, like, just yeah. left us hanging. And I'm like, bruh. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Not and I, and I, that. Guess what? John Dream doesn't care that we're upset about it, by the rude. way. Rude. Super and rude. I, I think I think just like Van Houten left the book, that book ends in the middle of a sentence, right? So the assumption is that Anna died and couldn't finish the story. Um, this one, I truly believe that John ended it without Hazel dying because he couldn't, He because he lost Esther. And I think he just couldn't. Yeah. Um, he couldn't let her die again. Like, I really feel like yeah, that's right. why. Yeah. Um, didn't want to reopen. And I get that. Like now mm -hmm. knowing that like he did have a person in mind and how tenderly he treated these characters, mm -hmm. it would just be like ripping in that wound back open again yeah. and just mm -hmm. having to feel all that again. And yeah, I, with how his fandom is and the fandom of this book, it would just be again and again and again and again, that wound. And, and yeah. he yeah. had to get some closure too with mm -hmm. Esther's death now knowing that. So yeah. I forgive him a skosh more. A skosh. Because it is a very beautifully written book. So, All right. So Kate, uh, Molly, did you have anything to comment on the end of the book? I have a final question for Katie, if you don't. Um, comments on the end. I, I don't think... Hazel lived very long past the ending. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't I think that my, my theory is she just, the fluid started overcoming, the meds stopped working, something. And we're just not getting the terrible ending of Hazel's life. He is giving, yeah. and I think what it was, is he's giving the readers a break from that heartbreak. Because we fall in, we don't just fall in mm -hmm. love with Gus as we yeah. go. We're falling in love with Hazel at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. We've already, our hearts are already broken. He is giving us a break. Yeah. You know? A bit of a respite. You know it's coming. You know it's yeah. coming, but he's not gonna. Um, not gonna Katie questions. Um, how do you feel this represents life as a cancer patient? I think it did pretty good, actually, because we forget that um, cancer patients are still. People, people? Yeah, people. <laughs> um, they're not their diagnoses. They are still mothers. They are right. still sisters. They are still teenagers having their first kiss. Um, mm -hmm. I do uh, like a presentation on intimacy in the cancer patient. And mm -hmm. one thing that people forget is 
people still have sex when they have cancer. So I think it was a very good representation of all the things that a cancer patient isn't. It's still a young love. And then to have to accelerate their timeline because they're both sick was, I, it was a really good book. I really liked yeah. it. But it's a very good representation. So, um, so my last question that I have is on page 75, uh, Isaac, who has just had his eye remaining eye removed and is now completely blind. Um, his nurse says, what? what I was say? laughing because I was thinking about the egging scene. His nurse says, you'll see. And, um, he's like, really, did she just say, I'll see, like, obviously I'm not going to, I don't have eyes. And so then they start talking about qualities of good nurse. So Isaac says, doesn't pun on your disability. Uh, Hazel says, gets blood on the first try. Um, and seriously, that's huge. I mean, is my, this my freaking arm or dartboard? And then the, the third one is no condescending voices. The, how are you doing sweetie? That kind of stuff. Um, so I was wondering uh, what you consider to be the good qual the qualities of a good nurse. I, I second the blood one, by the way, if you can draw a freaking <laughs> IV from me, I, I have one vein that works. Me one. Too. And if me you too. try to argue with it and try to go somewhere else, you've already, uh, you're, you're done. You're done. I, I anyway, went through, sorry, Katie, I went through fertility treatment for two and a half years and I have one good vein. You have to be stuck so many times. I actually requested to have a, a certain nurse never draw from me again because when she drew from me, she would talk and she would be jiggling the needle while she was talking to me. And I would have bruises like my entire length of my arm. I was like, she can't draw uh, me anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't. Anyway, that yeah. second hospitalization... That second hospitalization with Livia when I was uh -huh. pregnant with Tater, uh -huh. um, Matt made a uh, OB nurse cry because she was trying to get a vein on here and she kept stabbing me and the whole wrist was bruised. Mm. And he's like, get mm. out! And you know Matthew <laughs> Banks doesn't yell. So. He, does not yell. <laughs> he does not yell. He does not yell. So, I mean, I was it was disgusting. It was awful. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Good so, nurse, Katie, go! Katie, what are the good <laughs> yes. qualities um, of a good nurse? Having... Having a solid skill set for hands-on skill is a big one for me. Mm -hmm. you gotta be good at what you do. Um, mm -hmm. I totally agree with the no condescending voice. Mm -hmm. It chaps my ass when I hear people say, honey, sweetie, dear. Talk. <laughs> and, and it's, well, it's different when it's, so if that's how you talk if, mm -hmm. But if it's condescending, I'm going to nip that in the bud real quick. Mm -hmm. Like I, the first time I meet a patient, when I introduce myself, my name's Katie. You can call me Katie. You are Mrs. Watkins. What would you like me to call you? Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're okay with me calling you honey, then that's what I'll refer to you as. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be like, oh, it's okay, sweetie. Big pin. You know what I mean? Like, and I think honesty is one of the best policies in medicine. If it's going to hurt, be like, it's not going to be a pinch. You're going to feel a poke. You're right. going to feel a needle poking through your skin. Don't say it's going to be a pinch. It's not a pinch. It's poke. If this is going to hurt like hell, I'm going to need you to take a deep breath because this is going to hurt. Right. Just be honest with them. If, and because all you're doing is belittling the respect that you have for that patient and, and not right. honoring their process by not and everyone's being pain tolerance is different, right? Yep. Right. So, yeah. Gotta be clear, man. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, yeah, those are big ones. Be good at what be good skill set, honesty, kindness. Don't don't be an asshole. Nobody wants an asshole nurse. If you're having, yeah, you're having a bad day, yeah. <laughs> Cleanliness. Yeah. Add some of those. Uh, <laughs> I feel like in general, yeah. um, I feel like in general, and I think I've I've told you this before, nurse Katie. Katie. Sorry. So this isn't me sucking up. She's our nurse Katie. She's our nurse Katie. In general, my preference I prefer female physicians anyway, but my preference is to see a nurse mm-hmm. practitioner because I feel like having that nursing background where you are used to you have so much better bedside manner than people who are just like the scientists doctor type. What time right? hands on? Um yeah. my yeah. my uh high risk doctor when I lived in Texas and was pregnant with James, he was actually a nurse. Um, I think he was a nurse in the Navy, maybe, um, and put himself through nurse practitioner school and then went and got his uh, his medical MD? degree. Yeah. Damn. And so he had done Damn. all the things. Yeah. I know, right? Seriously, um, that's what I was thinking about was the money. Yeah. <laughs> he... Um, he had the most impeccable bedside manner and um, just made me That's feel awesome. good. And like the women he's working with are all women that have either experienced a pre- pregnancy loss or they're having a really severe uh, difficulties in their pregnancy or have gone through fertility treatments. Um, when I was pregnant with James, he actually, he only delivered like incredibly high risk people. So usually people that had several multiples in there. So he actually d- delivered a, a, a set of a, a, a four, a quad, a quad set. Um, but he didn't Ooh, deliver me, but yeah, but um, he just was funny and just his bedside manner was just so much better. Um, and I don't actually like seeing if I'm in the OB field, I don't ever want to see a man. i I, I, you, what are you doing down there? Like, you don't have these parts. You don't know these parts. You don't know how hard that feels when you just jam stuff up. No, we're done with that. Oh, but, yeah. But he was one that I felt. You're done. Welcome you're done. <laughs> we're all done with that. No, no, thank you. Um, anyway, no. uh, Molly, did you have any more questions or should we talk about what we're going to be doing the rest of this month? Let's talk about next week. Katie, I want to thank you for being on again. Thank you, Katie. We Sorry love you. we made you cry. It's yeah, okay. Sorry about, yeah. sorry about that. Don't worry, you made me cry too. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Next week. Seriously, is- though, before Good. we do that, seriously, oh. season three, Katie, you're picking a book, and we're not crying through that episode. Pick one that we can laugh <laughs> about <laughs> or something. Don't make it historical fiction, though. She'll never let go of it. <laughs> Next week! We are going to have good omens! This is a Molly pick. This is actually my third copy of this book. I mm. tore through the first two copies in my 20s, just destroying them, reading them. This is from I the library, support local libraries. And I read the audiobook. Um, that, that's the library. I did listen to the audiobook. And I have a lot of feelings about cast version for regular version, which we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about next, next week. week. But uh, next yeah, week. And then after that is after Jurassic that, Park downstairs. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. This will also be a Molly uh, hosting uh, because mm-hmm. we are wrapping out the month. It was supposed to be my pick, but uh, we're actually going to have a, a special guest host at the end of the month where we read for our 42nd episode, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and by Douglas Adams. And if you know The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you understand why we had you to do know it on the, the 42nd why. episode. Second um, episode. But we are going to have a guest host. So Molly and I are going to take a back seat while the love of my life, our editor, my husband, 
uh, hosts the episode for us. Okay. And he's already written the questions. Hey, and his name is Tom. And he's already written the questions and it's adorable. And he's so cute about it. And I'm, I just, I I'm so him. excited for his episode. I am not going to lie. I'm like, I can't wait for Tom's episode. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I'm really excited to have him do it. I honestly didn't think he would. And so initially when I was like, would you want to come on that episode? He's like, would you want me to host it? I was like, yeah, let's, yes. do that. let's do that. I never thought that would happen, but I'm excited for it. Right. So that's what we've got coming up for the month of April. Thank you, Nurse Katie, our friend for coming and on. medical expert um, for coming on for this episode. <laughs> and uh, we'll next time, no all... more tears. Yeah, we'll try. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us on Book Besties with special guest, Nurse Katie. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly and April, not those of anyone else. Today's book was The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins, editing by Thomas Watkins, and music is Sleep Sweetly by Brigida. Don't forget to follow Book Besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. If you would like to contact the Book Besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com.